It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Chelsea, the Chelsea podcast. It's me, Andy Saunders. Uh, no Kerry this week and no Phil, so I'm joined by two gentlemen from the fourth estate. Uh, first of all, to my left, Mr. Dan Levine, who uh, asked him how he should be described, and he said, journalist. Okay, um, who snappy. Do you, who, do you, who do you write for? Anyone days? who pays me. Um, okay. uh, I write for the, uh, the local press down in, uh, in West London, Get West London. Uh, UK. I do some stuff for Mirror Group, all sorts of bits and pieces. And you do Eurosport as well. I, I do noticed. Eurosport, thank you very much for reminding me. Yeah, <laughs> various other things. And to my right, Mr Gary Hayes, who is the Chelsea correspondent for Bleacher Report, is that right? Do you yeah. write for anybody else as well? No, I do um, some CNN stuff at the games, and like Dan, anyone who will pay me. And you're, you're both Chelsea fans? So happens. And uh, have been forced to schlep around the regions to, uh, to watch this team this year. Both um, of you twisted both. well up back. <laughs> I, I think I've enjoyed it more than when uh, Chelsea were winning the, the league last oh, season. Oh, really? That's an interesting... It's made it easier to write about them impartially, whereas last year I found I was going too much down the praise, the praise route because there wasn't much you know, to get upset about, whereas now it's being able to analyse a bit more and not get caught up in it. It challenges your creativity a little bit more when you've got to say, yeah, exactly. find different ways of saying how rubbish the team are, I think. Exactly. And then uh, I, I enjoy the, the arguments and the debates over social media, so um, I like reeling people in every now and then, like I was doing this afternoon over Hazard. All right, well, so what were you doing this afternoon? Tell us. Well, it. it was just yesterday I wrote something about Hazard saying that, to be fair, I'm contradicting myself because I've been criticising him all season, but then I just started looking at it just recently. I was chatting to a few people and... I just thought maybe he's been misunderstood this season. You know, his dad came out last week and said about how Chelsea have been flogging him you know, when he's been injured because they've had to. And I just thought maybe, maybe they have and maybe that's what the issue is, that we've been misreading the body language and the body language is the doubt of a player who 
is just burnt out, injured. He's got his dodgy hip. He can't really run properly at the moment. Ever since that Leicester game in December, yeah. when we all thought he walked off in a half, but actually had quite a bad hip injury and apparently an inflamed groin now as well. And I just think painful. that, yeah, it maybe it leads to that. I've, I've got no you know, insider line on it, whether he does want to move to Madrid and he's been in a strop. Maybe that is the case, but I just thought looking at it that maybe there's another reason. And, you know, we saw how... Um, you know, Liverpool did it with Torres and Gerrard. Whenever they were 50% fit, they had to play and they played and they just yeah. pushed and pushed and pushed. And I think that Chelsea really haven't got any creativity outside of Hazard that's consistent like he was last season. You know, players like William have been exceptional this year, but for different reasons. And They don't think, have that supernatural ability to change exactly, the game, do they? Exactly, they're, they're Chelsea are missing yeah. that. And I think that's yeah. down to what the club did last January and last, um, last summer as well, where they completely diluted what that squad was about and they've weakened themselves it's been self-inflicted and then you've just seen that players like Hazard that they're so reliant on him that when you know I think you look at it now that he came off against PSG and because he hidden hasn't had to play him because there hasn't been much to play for I know it was the FA Cup but you know he, ha- he isn't playing him now so maybe he's going to give him time to come back but then if he does obviously it's too late for Chelsea's season and Belgium would be the ones to benefit in Euro 2016 but mm. I just think maybe there's another reason for it I think Gary's hit part of the nail on sort of on the head there really because I think the problem with Hazard is definitely that he seems to have the pain threshold of a marmosette um, and, and anything you know he drops an eyelash and he's out for three weeks well, uh, two words Iron Robin splins to precisely yeah. exactly no. and I think look what happened when Chelsea let him go prematurely so we're saying that the, you know that there's a little bit of latitude to be given to Eden Hazard but he needs to man up a little bit Maybe. He's not the Messiah. He's just a very naughty boy. Um, but yeah, he does need to man up a little bit. He does. But then there are some things we're never going to get out of him. He's not going to be John Terry. He's no. not going to get kicked in the head and the chest and run through it. I mean, he was the most fouled player in Europe last year, yeah. statistically. I mean, he did get a good kick and he did keep getting up and he did keep getting assists and he did keep getting goals. And this season, yeah. he's not getting up, he's not getting assists, he's not getting goals. I think one league goal this season, I mean, it's, it's a real... He's really fallen off a cliff, hasn't he? And he has. There and must be something behind that, beyond a lack of confidence and maybe some injury. Yeah, and, you know, someone made the point and said, oh, he's been off it since last February and he's been stropping since. And I thought, well, I don't really buy into that because he signed his new contract in February and I can't imagine he'd sign a new contract for five years and then be demanding to leave immediately. That's a proper strop. A 13-month strop. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really, you'd have to take away all his chocolates for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I just think that I count myself in this and, you know, um, I hold my hands up. I've criticised him a lot this year, but then... But you haven't booed him like some of the fans, presumably. Well, may, maybe because I've been in the press box, I wouldn't be allowed to. But no, I, I, wouldn't, I don't boo players anyway, but, you know, regardless. But I, I just think, you know, I've, I've stuck the knife in at times. But then I just thought, just thinking about it recently and, you know, there, have, there hasn't been so many games going on. I've had a bit more time to consider things. I just thought maybe, yeah, maybe there is another, another reason behind why he has dropped off a cliff. Because I think even if you look at that Swansea game on the, you know, uh, the early part, well, the first game of the season and everything else that came from that. But I think when he was down, you could see that he was... Can I, can I say arse? Of course you can. So what do you want? He, he was blown out of his arse in that game. You could <laughs> yeah. see he wasn't fit. He's got quite a big arse to blow out. Yeah, no, yeah exactly. Those, those nice glutes. Um, I think you Helps could, his centre, lower centre of gravity, doesn't <laughs> it? But I think you could just see that when he, when he got fouled there, he was almost relieved and he was laying there like, you know, thank God I've been fouled here. And then obviously Jose reacts to that, as Jose does. Um, but I just think maybe there's a little bit more to it than simply he fell out with the manager and now he doesn't want to be at Chelsea. And, you know, I haven't, known him personally and I'm sure Dan will agree with me on this that when you see him in the mix zone he's not he doesn't strike me as a prima donna he doesn't strike me as a guy who is 
going to be getting upset in that way and you know he's very it, introverted isn't he have you, yeah, ever, have you ever interviewed him yeah he's, he's quite he's quite difficult to get through to i mean first of all the excuse was that his english wasn't great right. but then when his english came good he, so i don't i don't want to criticize two people at once here but he's sort of the belgian joe cole when he talks right um and so you don't really although joe joe is always very chatty and very you know matey you don't really get much out of him. No. Um, but I, I just think you see him, and I, he, he doesn't strike me as a player that is going to be going into the manager's office making demands. I might be totally wrong because I'm judging this on. Do you two think or people people around him, him might be? Yeah. You know that he right. has a, he has people around him yeah, maybe perhaps. turning his head. I mean, we have so many rumours of him linking in with with all the big clubs in Europe. I mean, surely that's going to have some kind of effect mentally on a player. Yeah, may, maybe it has, but I just think that you know whether there's a, an agent pushing agenda. On his, you know, on his part, I, I don't. Is think his dad his agent? His dad represents him. He doesn't. I mean, officially, he doesn't have an agent, right. which is you know. I, I mean, everyone has an agent, really, but that's what they say. Right. But the Hazard family is the Hazard family business. Yeah. And in some ways, that's a little bit worse, isn't it? Because you're you're dealing with people with really strong vested interests. Yes. People who really really care about the client. It's not like you know you get uh, Keir Jabakian, Jurabchin uh, come in and you know he. He's got this long list of guys, and you know, basically, they're just m- units of money on his spreadsheet. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because you wrote a piece today, didn't you, about Michael Emanalo? Uh, Phil's not here, so we can pronounce it properly. Um, <laughs> and you uh, likened Emanalo as a courtier in the King of uh, uh, in the court of King Henry VIII, which I thought was very very interesting. It's a good piece on the Eurosport website. Yeah. Um, and, and you said that, didn't you, about about Keir, uh, uh, Yeah, um, and, and his uh, bringing in certain players. Uh, uh, being part of the Ramirez yeah. deal, being part of the Miazga deal, um, and and Emanalo actually voicing discontent for the first time about that. There's always been this sort of unofficial place. Well, Abramovich has been at Chelsea as sort of the, the the key agent, and to start with, it was Pinizza Harvey, uh, and then sort of Mourinho was you know, really, really it was um, uh, Mendes, yeah. George Mendes, who who also happens to be Mourinho's agent. Um, now Mourinho's gone. It seems that Kia. Drabchen is is sort of floating around. And we remember him from Tevez and Mascherano exactly. and the whole West Ham yeah. debacle. Uh, he, he was at QPR as well, wasn't he? Because he's Hughes's agent, isn't he? Yes, he's Hughes's agent. And he bought Basingwa and all the other yeah to Loftus Road. Yeah, <laughs> but um, certainly got a very very good deal for Chelsea uh, Ramirez. from Ramirez. Nobody thought Ramirez was a twenty four five million pound player. Yeah, and off he goes. Ramirez even thought that, did he? I doubt it very much. <laughs> I don't think Ramirez's mum thought that. You know. Yeah. Well, and of course, there's stories in the paper today about Mikel possibly going off to China. And, and would that presumably be part of that same same pipeline? Imagine so, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, he had his fingerprints a little bit on, as you say, Miazga as well, and on the Pato loan deal. And it all seems to be coming together. And, and my information is that Miazga and Pato were both done over the head of Emanalo. Right. Um, so, you know, there's, there's movement there. You know, there's, mm. you know, Roman's advisors have always been clouds that sort of overlap and some of them fade away and some you know because marina became grasgover it became very high profile for a while and she seems to have disappeared right into the background well she, she's in fact i mean she's obviously very talented and all that but she's effectively just the administrator i yeah. mean she doesn't go sort of stand at youth team games at the side yeah. of the pitch scout. she's not a scout, scout. no no i think she does a good job in thrashing out the contracts but then the the actual signings is left terminalo isn't it 
Yeah, and, and she's, I mean, if you've seen something like The Damned United, when um, you get um, Brian Clough going to the, the lad's house and sleeping on the sofa yeah. and making breakfast for his mum and stuff like that, that's, that's her gig. Right. Um, I don't know if she's made breakfast for, for anyone's mum yet, but right. you know, we'll, we'll find out later, I'm sure. You guys, I mean, you, you're very privileged in the sense that you get to sit in the press conferences, you get to go into the mix zone, which I would imagine is a bit of a cattle market, and you know you have to earn the right to be there, and it's a, you know, it's a difficult place to be. But what, what's the sense you get from the players as they come through? Do you, does this feel like a united squad? Does it feel like a happy squad? Because from the outside, sitting in the stands, it looks like there is issues in the squad. I think it's different to last year, obviously, because Chelsea aren't winning games a lot. You know, a lot of the time when. When, when they lose, everyone will just look at each other and say, good luck in the mix zone, you know, because you're not expecting anyone to stop. But it, it depends. It, it, there's so many factors. It depends what agenda the player's looking to push. You know, for instance, that with the Premier League games, it's rights holders only, so you can't get in there. But for the Champions League and FA Cup, you can. And when John Terry announced that Milton Keynes, that he wasn't getting his contract... That that was. That were, you was there, were you in the in the? No, I, I was in the press conference at the time, and right. that was mixed zone gold, wasn't it? Because yeah. you don't get that often, and it depends what the player's happy to do. But right. you know, working with the club, they're, they're always good trying to get the players to stop. But you know, they, they've just done a load of media inside as well, so it's, it's, it's difficult to judge. And you get that the gentlemen stop, like Zuma and Cahill, and but then sometimes the more high-profile players don't stop because they don't have to. Mm. We've also had a bit of a change this, these last couple of years because we've lost a couple of good talkers. People like Czech always used to stop. Yep. You know, Lampard always used to be good for a few words. Even David Luiz used to be good. Yep, yep. And, and it's been, of course, it's been difficult with JT this season because whenever there's a contract looming, you know, he, he doesn't want to really get out there unless we have something like a Milton King. Unless he wants to control the agenda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 He's, he's got something to push. Yeah, it's interesting. And, um, and I asked the question because I know... Particularly, Dan, you spent quite a lot of time on Mourinho. You know, you'd interviewed him. You'd, you'd been around, I presume both of you were around Mourinho. Do you see, on, in reflection, the kind of shadow of Mourinho over some of these players? And you look at the confidence of, for example, Matic or, or, or Hazard or Ivanovic or some of these players that really haven't lived up to last season. Do you in any way see some responsibility for the way Mourinho handled those players this year? Absolutely. I think, yeah. he's, I think he's broken Matic. Yeah, I, I do I, as well. I, I, I can't see any way back for Matic at Chelsea. I really can't. He seems to have forgotten how to tackle. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. Just, the problem is, is that now he's questioning everything he does. Yeah. He doesn't want to um, make a mistake, does he? Yeah, exactly. And then when, once you enter that, then that, that's where the mistakes come. Yeah. yeah. But I think just going back to all this you know, talk of Mourinho is that when, when it was the 2013-14 season, he was talking about this team being you know, the little horse in the title race and people laughed about it. But I think that what we're seeing now is what he was suggesting, is that they weren't mature enough to deal with the pressure of being Chelsea players. They weren't mature enough to, to be consistent in that way. And last year, we thought maybe that they had, you know, they had had a year with him, they had matured that bit more. But then there was so much player turnover that I think it diluted his power a little bit mm. and these players are I think the mistake on his part is he's come in expecting to be working with players like John Terry Frank Lampard Michael Balak Didier Drogba you know all these you know McAlady you know guys that are mentally strong and aren't from this academy system that's in the modern era and I think he's been found out a little bit because of it mm. players like Hazard who I know it's a bit of a cliche but they say about the arm around the shoulder they're, they're more those types rather than the, the guys who get down and dirty and really grind out results when, when it's needed I think that's shown that since Hiddink's come in the mistake everyone made with him is that they thought it would be Hiddink of 2009 and that but the, the squad's totally different and it doesn't have that same character it doesn't have the same yeah. grit and determination to win games you know, I, I remember when 
even you know before Scolari got the boot, when I think it was two all against Stoke or one all, and Lampard got that ninety first minute equaliser, and that sort of like embodied that team. That was like the way that yeah they were crap at the time, and they weren't you know they were a disjointed team, but they had that that somehow they'd find a way. Whereas now these players don't, and I think that's what Mourinho's talking about two years ago when he's talking about the little horse is that. There's no, there's no leaders in that team where they can look to them to I win I think that's games. the key, isn't it, is this lack of leadership. And we've been talking about it all year on the podcast. And the fact that when JT's not in the team, you give the armband to Ivanovic. He's not even the best captain in the back four, you know, let alone the best captain in the team. And I, I don't blame him for that. It's just he's been chucked the armband. And, you know, he's a guy that's been played out of position on the right. He's now back in centre-back. You know, he's probably as confused as anybody. I think he's picked it up. You know, in the second half of the season, Ivanovic, because he was. Well, I think he's looked better since he's gone into the centre yeah. because he hasn't got fast wingers running at him and just tearing him a new one. Whereas I think playing in the centre, he can actually play as a defender and you yeah. know survey the game in front of him and play with his head more. Whereas on the wing, yeah. or so, so on on the flank, and he's having to get forward, yeah. he's getting caught out so much more because physically he can't really handle these really zippy wingers that are coming him. And you know, go back to that first day of the season again, Montero. That just set the precedent for Ivanovic this season. Well. Ever since then, you know, the wingers have been doing it to him. But Hiddink was asked the other week about his captains. And after John Terry, you know, this is people looking at where we're going to go when presumably JT goes. Um, and he mentioned, uh, he mentioned Costa, Ivanovic, obviously. Costa. Costa, yeah. Oscar. Oof. Hazard. Oof. William. Would you, how many of those would you want in a foxhole with you, really? Well, I don't think any of those are captains. I mean, the only captains I can see are possibly Zuma. At yeah. some point, if he was groomed, if that's the right word, um, and brought through and, you know, a, 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 and intelligently dealt with, um, you know, I could see him, he, he has leadership skills. I, you know, beyond that, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. Think, um, Gary Cahill would be obvious. I'm, I'm surprised that Cahill, you, you're shaking your head. You know, I'm shaking my head. Um, Cahill's a, a, a nice guy, but I really don't think he's... He was captain of Bolton. He was. He was. But, you know, he, he seems to be, always seems to me to be a guy who... He underperforms when he hasn't got a strong role model next to him. He looks like he's not half the player he is when John Terry isn't there with yeah. him. And that tells me something about his leadership and, and, and what's not in that sort of in that locker. Yeah. How, how, how much of a, a loss was Zuma, do you think, in, in these last you know, sort of six weeks or so that, that he's been out? Do you think he's, we've really noticed what he brings to the, to the team with him not being there? I think pretty big. I mean, he's not... Pe- pe- with Zuma, I think people seem to either be glass completely full or glass completely empty. Yeah. He's clearly sort of on the way to he's being raw. a very good yeah. player. Yeah. He makes yeah. a lot of mistakes. He does. The good thing is he's young enough and he's nippy enough to cover up for a lot of those mistakes mm. and also for a lot of the mistakes of the people next to him. But I think he's, he's certainly been a big miss. Well, one thing that I think is... I know it, it sounds stupid to say it because it's a player that's got a serious injury, but the benefit of it is that John Terry got injured a few weeks later and then Ivanovic has stepped into the centre, and I think that Chelsea have found a solution of sorts to that when Terry goes, there's going to be that big hole in the middle, and I think Ivanovic temporarily can feel that. So I think there's one positive to come out of Zuma being injured, in that Ivanovic, I'm not saying he's a world-beater and that he's going to be the future of Chelsea's central defence, but I think that Chelsea, if Terry does go, which is obviously looking very likely it's going to happen, um, you know, with his contract situation, is that... Do you both feel that? you both feel that he's... On his way, not going to no last minute sort of deals. Well, I mean, we're going off piece here again, but but the difficulty is that that um, uh, Conti, who, who is almost certain to be the next manager, is going to come have to come in, and the first decision he's going to have to make is: do we keep JT or not? Which is a bit of a tough thing for him to do, isn't it? Really? Well, and we were talking about the fact that because of the Euros, you said what date would he come in? Earliest? The tenth of July is the Euro final, so presumably 
you know, we might get him on the 11th of July. Yeah. Yeah. And Chelsea are playing. They announced the tour dates for the... Starting That's the right. 27th. They're going to start on the yeah. 27th and they run for one week. And we're going to play Liverpool, AC Milan and Real Madrid, apparently, in, yeah, in yeah. that week. Um, and then, of course, we've got Euro 2016, which runs from July, June the 10th to July the 10th. Are we going to get ourselves into another situation but, where we're not going to have a proper pre-season This again? is the point I was going to say about Ivanovic, is that the fact he's come in and played this last month or so at centre-back, that... Chelsea are faced with this void at centre-back if Terry goes. Zuma's not going to be fit, really, until September time. So then you're looking at having to, you know, where is Azpilicueta going to stay left-back if he moves to the right? Then you've got, you know, you've got a feeling with Rahman or another left-back. They've got this, there's so many holes across this squad, but the most important one of them being defence. They've got a rebuild from scratch of a new manager. And I just think that maybe Ivanovic can step in and fill that in and give a little bit of stability at a time where they need it yeah. with the view to... You know, six months or a year on actually, you know, addressing that area properly. But you don't want to be faced with having to rebuild an entire backline almost, mm-hmm. losing a player like John Terry. You know, in in a summer where you've replaced your manager, there's been a European competition. The players are getting back late; they're not getting a full pre-season. Well, not only a European competition, we've got Copper America as well, which uh, runs from June the third to June the twenty-sixth. You know, so that's going to take the South Americans out the uh, out the equation as well. But also as well that. Um, Miazga, because it's in America, Miazga will be playing in that. Exactly. You know, so, so not a lot of rest. And I think one of the big criticisms of last season is we went off on these stupid jaunts and um, didn't have a proper pre-season, mm. came in half fit, started the season on the back foot, and, and the rest is history. Which is the concern about that US trip, again, because of the amount of travelling there. I can't remember where they're playing um, against uh, Liverpool, but they're playing in Pasadena against Real Madrid, and then they're playing in... Um, Minneapolis and LA. Okay, so they're playing... Is it Pasadena, two- is it? Yeah, Has that so, been confirmed, is it? yeah. So they're, they're, they're playing two games in California then, maybe. I know it's definitely one. Because you thought it might Pasadena. be Detroit, didn't you? Well, I, that's not confirmed. I don't know. And then there's a lot of miles, certainly. Yeah, yeah and then they're playing in yeah, Minnesota, where, Minneapolis. Or Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Yeah. The, the travel, you know, that isn't like travelling from London to Newcastle. No. That's like travelling from London to Dubai and then, you know, back again and everything else. And I just think that it's not very well planned again. What yeah. happened to the days of playing Wickham Wanderers in a pre-season? Well, we did it a couple of years ago. And St Albans City. You know, that's what you want in your pre-season. Yeah, well, you can you say that. We, we played Wickham two years ago. No, yeah, two, it'll be two years ago this summer and then we played all those games. We played AFC Wimbledon as well, didn't we? And they so did... when Tony Adams was managing uh, Wickham Wanderers? No, so this, this, this was Mourinho's um, second summer back <coughs> and then obviously we went on to win the league after playing uh, Wickham Wanderers and AFC Wimbledon in pre-season. They're yeah, always yeah. going to do these tours now, that's the thing. But there's so much money in it. They make money. Yeah. Well, they make money, and also it's about the global brand, isn't yeah. it? It's about expanding the global brand, particularly in, in the world's biggest market, you know, which is which is growing. Let's let's have a chat about the um, the game on on Saturday. Um, we well, we do because it's interesting because quite a lot. I think it, it throws up in, into relief quite a lot of the stuff we're talking about. The first thing is that the, the, the defence. You know, John Terry came back into the starting lineup, made his 701st appearance for the club. But the defence reverted to the familiar shape with Branislav Ivanovic at right back, Aspilicueta back on the left, John Terry and Cahill Gahil at centre back. For, so, for all the talk about you know Ivanovic going into centre back and looking comfortable, we chucked him back on the uh, on the right of defence. Uh, Cesc Fabregas and Mikel uh, in holding midfield with Kennedy. Uh, who has been filling in at fullback, moving further up the pitch uh, in place of the injured Hazard, uh, to play alongside Oscar and William behind Loic Remy, who had a rare start in place of the suspended Diego Costa. So lots of changes in that particular team. And, um, you know, coming into this game off the back of Champions League and FA Cup uh, defeats, I mean, there was a sense that the season's over, but, you know, it's always going to be a derby of sorts, isn't it, against West Ham? And West Ham had things to play for. You know, they they still have aspirations. They fancy Champions League. They do. 
Uh, and, and that was very much a, um, a, a bit of a, a spoke in the wheel, wasn't it, for them, uh, that result. Lanzini uh, scored an absolute corker after... Okay. after I six... thought Courtois should have done better with that. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody about this idea of getting beaten at the near post, and, and this idea is, you know, is getting beaten at the near post such a bad thing, it, you know, or is it a myth? Because, of course, if you cover the near post, you're exposing the rest of the goal, so I don't know. I'm with you. I don't think he did it. I don't think Courtois has covered himself in glory, particularly in the second half yeah, of the season, think, generally. I think both goals, you should have done better with them. I think the Lanzini one, he's got enough time to set himself that there's, only, a, there's only one area, really, where Lanzini shot, can put though. that. Oh, well, he is. I'm, I'm not trying to take yeah. any, anything away from that. I just think that... I don't want to hark back to saying Czech would have saved or anything like that and you know, being stupid, but I just think that a keeper... Of, Les Fridge would have saved it. Yeah, no, I just think a keeper of a, a certain quality, that I, it's not often that you would see Buffon or um, Neuer being beaten from, from that range. For, you know, I know it's a good effort and everything else that comes with it, but I just think that maybe Courtois, he, he almost got to it, but I just think that... I think you're being a little bit harsh on that goal. On the extra, second goal, on the Andy Carroll goal. On the stretch. Yeah, on the Andy Carroll goal, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think he maybe could have done better. But, you know, when you're one-on-one, -on -one, it's always going to be a lottery, isn't it, really? And he, he kind of was. But the first goal, I thought, was an absolute corker. I mean, I was sitting right in line in the, in the West End lower, just seeing it sail over his head. But, you know, maybe you're right. Uh, I, personally, I just thought it was an absolute worldie, mm -hmm. you know, and you can't do a lot about it. And then, of course, right into injury time on the, uh, on the first half, upstairs uh, Sesk. Um, uh, gets uh, a little bit of a, a rub of the luck with a 12-yard mm. wall yeah. um, and manages to, to, again, put the ball in the one, the one place where the goalkeeper can't reach it. I mean, really interesting that that's uh, uh, the first goal that he scored directly from a free kick in the Premier League since 2009. Is it really? Yeah, perhaps we should um, let him take the free kicks a bit more often. Yeah, it was a lovely free kick, well executed. And um, I think he was lining up with Ivanovic, wasn't he? And he looked like Ivanovic. I was thinking, oh, God... <laughs> Yeah, here we go. Ivanovic just wants to pile drive, but it was, you know, delicately put in there. And Willian had had one, you know, a few minutes earlier. that only just had only just gone wide, and then um, I didn't really know what to expect from Sesk when you saw him lining it up. But yeah, it was a lovely free kick, and I think he took his penalty pretty well as well. You know, he became the fourth Chelsea player of the season to score a direct free kick goal in all competitions. Oscar Willian's got six. Six direct free kicks, and uh, uh, and Hazard has got one as well. So you know, we seem to have um, been practicing them, I guess. Um, but, you know, it's uh, an extension of our unbeaten run at Stamford Bridge against West Ham to 12 games in all competitions. I thought we were pretty dreadful in the first half, the generally. First half, I thought we yeah. were really, really average. And, you know, it's a concern, I think, that you can't get up for, for games like that. I know that we're coming off the back of two defeats. I know that the season's effectively over. But when you've got players like Kennedy coming into the team, when you've got players that know that a new manager is going to come in, is going to be watching every game, I'm surprised at the lack of energy. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just surprised that Hiddink hasn't, you know, um, shaken things up a bit more because they have got nothing to play for now. And I think that, you know... He's so let's talk about the youth. Would you play the youth? Well, that, that's the point, yeah. if, which is what I was going to get to. Um, yeah. I think, you know, we talk about what he did here last time in 2009. He, he left a team that was, you know, he inherited a team that was close to being broken by Scolari. You know, the season wasn't going too great. They ended up with a silverware of winning the, um, the FA Cup. Could have got to the Champions League final had it not been for some debatable refereeing decisions and that in yesterday goal. So I think, you know, there he left the team pretty much where you'd expect him to. Whereas now I think that it's, it's changed a little bit in terms of what he should be leaving for Chelsea. And I think he needs to start giving Loftus-Cheek more game time because, one, he even says himself he doesn't know what his best position is. No. Two, you need to be giving him more minutes so that the new manager can come in and make a, 
a more of a qualified decision as to whether he is going to be playing more regularly under him or whether the club don't want him any. I know he's only got a new contract, but they need to make decisions about his players and the only way to do it is by having them play. And if it is Conte coming in, he's going to look at Loftus-Cheek and he's going to have a showreel that doesn't, you know, re- hardly amounts to a game. There's a lot of expectation on the very broad shoulders of Ruben Loftus-Cheeky Nando's. I mean, is that, he, what, is that warranted? Do we, do he we hasn't delivered yet, has he? He I has not delivered. I don't think he has. But, uh, but I that's think the point. I think it's so difficult for him to deliver in that he gets 10 minutes here. You know, Where would you play him, Gary? There. Would you play him in the holding role? Would you play him at the 10? No, I'd, I'd play him, in, I'd play him uh, deeper with Fabregas. Right. I don't think he's a number 10. And what? he hasn't really played there much for the use him, has he? I, I just think that someone like him, the power that he's got, you know, running forward at teams. I know he came on and played a number 10 and won that penalty, but I think you see Penalty? Him. Never a penalty. Yeah. No, never was. <laughs> never a penalty. Never was. But, but I, we'll I think it. That a player like him, you see him, and, you know, um, he, I'm only doing it because it's a lazy comparison, but it's like a Yaya Toure-esque. You look at the size and everything else of him, and Toure is in a number 10. You know, his game is running at teams from deep and, you know, Pole driving, pole, you know, power driving teams through the middle, and I think Loftus Cheek that in time can develop that side of his game. I'm not saying he's going to hit the same level as Torre. Regular contributor think... to this station, uh, to this station, to this podcast, uh, uh, Rick Glanville always says that you know he's not convinced that Ruben Loftus Cheek can complete 90 minutes. So he's only done it once, yeah. and that was against MK Dons in the cup. He needs to, he needs to, you know, improve his fitness, and, and, improve his mobility. And, and that's the point is that Conte's coming in, and there's a question mark over him, and I think that it's Hiddink's duty now to start. Not answering them totally, because obviously Conte will come with his own ideas and, and what have you. But I think that, you know, the league the league's gone. Ch- Chelsea shouldn't be targeting the Europa League. What they should be targeting is preparing for the, the new manager to get him in and allow him to have enough with this team to work with so that he can make proper judgments. And so, I think, so how, many, how many do you want to change? How many kids do you want to bring in on a weekly oh, no, basis? See, the, the, it's the issue as well, is that you get, you know... People get carried away with it. Where they're like, "Oh, just get all the kids in." I'm so, like, "Okay, well then you get what happened against Man City." So, would you give yeah. Jada Silva a chance at left back? Would you give? Um, no, I think I think for the Silva maybe it's a bit too soon. Tammy Abraham, that, you know, I mean, who do you who do you bring? But in? I think even it's even too soon for Abraham. I think the problem is is that Chelsea have allowed so many players to go out on loan that when they say give the kids a chance, like, well, the kids who really are at a level now where they deserve a chance are all playing in Holland or elsewhere, so it's difficult. But I think that you look at Kennedy and he's giving him time. Uh, Traore. I think they should have started Traore over Remy at, at the weekend. I would argue they're not kids. They were bought. They have league experience. You know, sure, they are, okay. they're, they are they're ki- more they're, mature They're young players. kids who are yeah. 19 or 20. They're youngsters, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think that he should have played Rahman at left-back. You know. I, I, I thought that was surprising that he didn't play Rahman at left-back. He's only 21 and he gets yeah. a lot, he gets yeah. a lot of stick. Again, you're grimacing, Dan. I'm grimacing because yeah. I, I think it, it seems very, very clear that, that Hiddink doesn't really fancy Do you fancy him? Well, have you written him off? But this is the point. It's not about who Hiddink fancies. It's about who the club fancies. And Hiddink shouldn't be picking players about who he wants to see playing. He should be picking players with a view of... Because this job isn't what, his what, anymore. Well, but, but you say that, but he also has a reputation to protect. I mean, he's unbeaten in the league. Sure, you know, with sure. Chelsea. But you know, he has a, a, a legacy to protect. And he has I, a legacy to protect, but at and the same I, time... I don't think that you know, the, the, a man of his... Uh, to my view, just my view, and I'm prepared to be argued out of it, but it seems to me that Hiddink is a man of great experience and great self... Uh, awareness. He's probably saying, "Well, look, you know, I have a, I have a contract to the end of the season. Let me see it to the end of the season. Then the new man will come in. But I'm not going to be a CEO that works to the board. You know, that allows teams to be." But that's picked the nature by of an interim manager, isn't it? 
Maybe, maybe think, in theory, I think, but I just think I think you know the reality is that managers are you know managers are managers because they are self possessed. That's my view of it. But and, I mean, it's again. a different situation that he's not Manuel Pellegrini at Man City. He, he's come in and his remit was no, he's not a dead man walking. No, but no. The, the point, he came in in December and his remit was that the club's honest knees almost. We're in a relegation scrap at the time, you know, and, and he even says himself, doesn't he, a lot. You know, the the, the target was get away from this um, relegation scrap. It was only a small target in terms of what Chelsea should be achieving, but that, that's what his aim was. And then obviously he wanted to go, you see with the selections he did ahead of Champions League matches, he wanted to go far in the Champions League and the FA Cup. He hasn't delivered on that front, which isn't his fault at all. It's more to do with the personnel. But I think that now his duty as an interim manager should be to get Chelsea ready for the next guy because I think it's too short-termist to look at it. He's not going to win anything as Chelsea manager. He's Each not going place to get in the, the Premier League is worth a significant amount of money though, isn't it? So, I, you know. I think that he's, what he should be targeting now is that he should be looking at building something so that whoever comes in, you know, mm. if he's too proud to do that, then I'd be disappointed because he's meant to be there to serve in the club's interest. He's not there as a manager who's come in with a five-year plan or right. however long. He's there on the interim basis, and that's there to get Chelsea from A to B. I think interim or not, you, you'd have a, your work cut out if you fancy going into a meeting with Gus and telling him you're going to pick these players. Oh, no, much, no. much the same as you would have done if you'd have done, tried that with Benitez. I, 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 I don't agree with that either by going in and dictating because then you know where do you draw the line that if you're going to do it the interim manager? You, you, you think you should be given manager. a remit to say, but come on, could you please do this? What, yeah, what should yeah. have happened is when he came in, they should have said, look, we know where we are as a club. And we've been in this long transition. We've got this talented youth team that's dominating it, you know, youth team football. We're not blooding these players. And we've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek sat in there, who's the, the number one hope from the academy at the moment. We've invested in players like Traore and Kennedy. What we need to start seeing is these players integrated more. I'm not saying they need to start every week or they should be taking over yeah. you know, Costa's place or you know, John Terry's or whoever. But you know, they, they've signed Matt Miazga and... If they really believe that he's going to be a Chelsea player, now is the time to start playing him. I'm not saying every week, but yeah. give him game time. You know, why the hell have we got Pato at the club? They've got him on loan. I know we spoke about it earlier with some of the you know, ludicrous goings on with agents, but if he's putting him on the bench, you know, why isn't he giving him a chance? That, that for me, was the question that came out the weekend. Because Hiddink was asked, did you ever consider bringing him on? And he basically said effectively no yeah. he said, he's got know, to prove he's got to be competitive yeah he said I, I, I make my decisions based on what, what happens in training which yeah. is basically no I'm not going to yeah. bring him on so if he's not good enough to bring on what's he doing on the bench let's, exactly. let's, let's hear what Hiddink had to say he said we started well in the first 10 minutes but then we started losing the possession too easily we reacted just before half time especially with the beautiful Fabregas free kick in the second half we got caught on the counter but we reacted perfectly to get the draw this is a very good West Ham side they're knocking on the door for the top four I was happy with the late penalty decision it's difficult for me to make a judgement I think he was tripped on the line on the line as part of the box, so obviously wrong about that. But you know, but you agree with the rest of uh, the rest of his sentiment about reacting to mm-hmm. a sloppy first half performance. It sounds a lot less angry when he says it in a Dutch accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I think it's a fair, football. Fair reason of the game, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, we. I thought that towards the end of the game, I thought there was a good chance that we could have won it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but. Well, you know, I mean, if you, it's interesting. I know, I know that I get, I get, I get kind of shouted down with the stats, but we had 22 shots uh, in that game, only five on target. But you know, we were putting, we were, we were attempting shots. We put in 28 crosses uh, to West Ham 17. I mean, that's that's a lot more attacking than we've been in in, in recent games. Um, you know, we outpassed uh, West Ham significantly, 534 passes to their 364. I think that was more toward 
you know, leaning towards um, how Billage had, had set them up because you could see him on the touchline that every time Chelsea were in attack, he, he was always he was always out pointing. You know, you can't see what I'm doing, but yeah. <laughs> it's great it, on the radio, yeah. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was always arms out, you know, to um, whoever was out wide to keep him out wide to stay wide because yeah. they knew about the you know it's the buzzword, isn't it? Talking about transitions, but at the moment they turned the ball over, they were hitting Chelsea, which is how they scored that Carroll goal. Yeah, yeah. You know, the you know Payet uh, in the middle there, you know, and I think that's th- those stats maybe suggest that I might be wrong, but I'd see it more down th- to the way that no, West Ham went there, and that's that's the way they tried th- to play. I think you're absolutely right. A transition is an interesting one; it is a buzzword. Have we forgotten how to transition? Because we used to be brilliant at it. Robin Duff, you know, Lampard, Essien. I mean, these players knew how to transition the ball really quickly. But they're a different Mar- type of player. Well, Mourinho used to say you have eight seconds from the breakdown of an opposition set piece to score a goal. That's that's what a transition is, and we seem to be building up very slowly. We bugger about with it on the edge of the box, then we lose possession, and then, and then the game is then played in the middle of the field. Have we forgotten how to transition? Is this a tactical failing of hitting? But it's, it's also not... part of the way, the, way the, 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 uh, the team is set up. You know, we've now got two holding men. It was a lot easier, I think, to do when you were playing 4-3-3. You can go through the middle and through the edges and all sorts. Yeah. Um, but also, we've just got the wrong players to do that exactly. sort of thing. Yeah. And there's this sort of, sort of division in obsessions between being a steely... Um, a, you know, ter- ter- terrifying side uh, to one that wants to pass the ball around, and you can't do both at the same time. Really, exactly. It's interesting what you say about the the two holding midfielders because that just looks so dated now. But he thinks having to play it because he hasn't really got the personnel to to adjust and play different systems. And I think that well, he could go three at the back, couldn't he? I mean, he's got enough centre backs to do that. Oh. Scary. Mm. We might see a bit of that next with, season. With Conte, well, Conte loves a three Conte. at the back. He loves which a three is why I, I don't think he'll keep Terry. I, I don't think you can play three at the back with Terry. Well, you might be right about that. Yeah. Which is why I think that the club, you know, as great as he's been and as much as I admire him as a player, I think that he's, I think in the modern day now, his time's up. And Can I think you do 3-5-2 with it. Gary Cahill? I think more so than John Terry. God, yeah. it's going to be a, a long season. <laughs> <laughs> so that's left us in 10th place in the table with eight games to play. Three points behind Liverpool, who do have two games in hand. Uh, and Southampton in ninth and eighth respectively five points behind Stoke in seventh place who's, who've played a game more than us where can we realistically finish where should we realistically finish this season I don't think we'll get was it is it top seven for Europa League now because it of depends on Man United and West Ham um, if one of them wins the FA Cup then it's top seven yeah because um, yeah because City winning the Capital One Cup no who won the Capital One Cup you, that hasn't got a place hasn't oh, it no no Oh, God, I'm well out. I'm talking about formations being outdated. I think I'm outdated. Um, but, yeah, I think that... Um, and I don't think we'll get Europa League. And I don't think... I asked Hiddink this question on, on Saturday. I said, you know, do you think it will benefit the team by not being in Europe next year? I wasn't... He, he thought... I think he got a little bit offended because he, he, he thought that I was suggesting that they should start throwing games <laughs> not to get to Europa League. But my point was is that I think it will serve this team better to work you know, week by week on games so that whoever the new manager is can get his ideas across more because of the issues we're talking about pre-season, you know, that he's got more time on the squad in the same way that, you know, Brendan Rodgers did with a, a poor Liverpool team and almost won him the title. I know they had Suarez and Sturridge, but, you know, I think that that would benefit his team. So I think that they should avoid the Europa League, but at the same time, I don't think they'll get there. I don't think they're good enough. I think that West Ham showed him up on Saturday and they're the teams they're competing with and the football West Ham are playing and the form they're in, they've got to you know, get over teams like that and West Ham are what, nine points clear of Chelsea now? Long way. Yeah. So, you know, games are running out and I don't think they're good enough to get there. Uh, I wrote a piece in early January based on the, the start of Hiddink's tenure 
working out where I thought we'd finish this season and, and the number of points we'd get. And I reckon then it'd be ninth or tenth. Okay. And I stick with that. Yeah, I, I think if we finish top eight, that would be considering where we were at one point during the season. I think top eight would be a result, and you know, and and you know, to be and Gus to be applauded for that. To be yeah. honest, you know, um, let's let's talk about some positive stuff just to end up with and, and the youth uh, uh, results this week. The under 18s uh, beat Blackburn Rovers one 0 away in the FA Cup Youth Semi Final first leg. Uh, with uh, Tamore with the, with the only goal of the game um, obviously uh, they're looking to reach their fifth successive FA Cup youth final uh, the second leg is on Friday the 8th of April at Stamford Bridge 7.45pm kickoff. you can get tickets on the Chelsea website £5 for adults £3 for kids definitely worth going along and we've got a lot to be uh, pleased about with the kids I mean I know there's this age old argument about whether there's a pathway for them into the first team but if you just look at them as a side they are a great side and they might be playing the Johnson's Paint Trophy next season. Oh, really? Well, there's, there's more. Well, the Premier League wants to potentially get 16 teams into the Johnson's Paint Trophy. Great. Uh, under 21 level. And I think it'd be worth it as well. Yeah, it'd be. Well, I, I can see that a lot of the lower league teams wouldn't be happy about it. But uh, the only thing is, I mean, I remember a few seasons back seeing uh, our kids play a friendly at Northampton Town right. against this sort of group of old pub bruisers. Sorry, Northampton, but that's basically what it was, including Akin Fenway, who is that guy who the, the tank. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and they they were well and truly done over. Uh, they looked, you know, there, there were sly little things going on. Right. Little pinches to the thigh, little elbows, you know. I suppose they grew up a little bit through doing it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know. But then going, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, when they played Wickham in the uh, pre-season a couple of years ago, and they, I think it was John Terry and Vanovich were the only first-team players. I know they had more senior players they wouldn't have in that, in the JPT, but... They held their own in that game, and I think they won four. Well, I said, yeah, I think they won four-one, and then um, they played AFC Wimbledon a few weeks later, maybe about week, weeks. And Akin Fenwa played, and Zuma was making his first Chelsea appearance, and Akin Fenwa just totally bossed him. Yeah. I just thought, God, who is this kid that we brought in? He, you know, Akin Fenwa was totally ruined him. He but... did look really awful when he first joined Zuma, and you know, very quickly I think it became acclimatised, which we were all relieved by. Well, I what think you, the... you look at those players, just talking maturity now. Yeah, of course. The, there's a lot there. You mentioned Jay De Silva. You know that they've all come on so much that yeah. they need that. They need that challenge. What was really impressive about the under 18s is they played obviously played on Friday in the FA Cup, and the next day they played in the league and yeah. drew two two with West Ham in the in the Barclays Premier League elite round. That's proper jumpers for goalpost stuff. Absolutely. Isn't it? Uh, there were a few changes, but there were still players that played in both games. I mean, that's remarkable. <laughs> well, you know how it was when you were 18. You go out of a session on Friday night, have another <laughs> session on Saturday. You know, exactly. It's only when you get to middle age you can't do that. The under 21s didn't play last week. Their next match is against United, Manchester United in the Barclays under 21 Premier League on Monday the 4th of April. The ladies kicked off their season with an impressive 4-1 away win over Doncaster Bells, coming back from a goal down in the game in the fifth round of the FA Women's Cup on Sunday. So well done to Emma and the team. Uh, they play their first league game of the season on Thursday again, away to Doncaster Bells. Uh, just look at any other business. I noticed that Diego Costa wasn't selected for the uh, Spain squad. Um, apparently, uh, Hiddink said that he has an injury. Um, you know, it, what's what, the, is it what's one, of, one of those injuries? One of those injuries is a tendon, a tendon injury, apparently. What do we think about that? Is, uh, is there some machina- sort of stuff going on there? Is Costa a first pick for the Spain well, I hope he isn't, and I hope he doesn't go to the Euros either. I think he will, but I think it'd be better for Chelsea if he doesn't. Yeah, yeah definitely. He yeah. needs a summer off, doesn't yeah. he, basically? You know, give him a summer off, and no matter what Del Posco thinks of him, I think you know, they've got a good player there, and 
I'd prefer it if he didn't go. I'd prefer that Hazard didn't go to the Euros and all the rest of them stayed at home as well and they get a pre-season and then we see better from them next year. Listen, Diego, watch the cricket. No putting up shelves. Just, just <laughs> chill out on the beach. And then Antonio Conte refused to discuss his long-term future at the press conference yesterday. That, that, there's nothing in that. Are you, you guys absolutely convinced that he's coming to Chelsea? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I think that there, there was so much noise around... Um, Simeone sorry I forgot his name then Simeone uh, Atletico and a few other names getting thrown into the hat that now when you see that everyone's set on Conte and the stories aren't going away normally that means that it's happening doesn't it what needs to happen is somebody needs to make an announcement and they need to do it quick because you know people are getting really annoyed players are losing faith you know and people need to know what's going on next season also John Terry needs to know where he's working yeah I I agree with that so our next game not this weekend it's a stupid international break this weekend Um, and then we have a a week off uh, and then we play Aston Villa away on Saturday the 2nd of April positively the worst team in the Premier League we've already beaten them at home can we beat them away? if we can't we're in trouble (laughs) they are awful aren't they? let's have a prediction from you then Dan for for Aston Villa away pub team Um, they'll um, no doubt score against (laughs) us because I I reckon it'll be like uh, level until about 5 minutes to go I think we'll win 4-1 4-1 or something. Okay. Gary? I was going to say 4-1. Well, you can say 4-1 no, as well. I'll, I'll say 3. I'll say 3-1. But oh. yeah, our defence, I think the point Dan was getting at is that it's so leaky. You always see a team scoring against us, whoever it is. Well, I noticed that on Saturday that we've now conceded in each of our last nine Premier League games at Stamford Bridge. I mean, that never happened, you know, in, in the past. Messy we? sheets. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go for a, for a comfortable 3-0 win against Aston Villa. Guys, I just want to say thank you so much for coming in. Uh, really good to get your insight on, uh, on the club and uh, hopefully see you again soon. Thanks very so much. Do I get to keep Kerry's seat now, do I? Yeah, absolutely. Do I keep Phil's? Yes. Am sorry, I the master sorry, of the house? Come, every, keeper of the wine. come every week. <laughs> Thanks. Up the blues. This is a playback media production served to you in association with Why Not Think People. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.